morning, I want to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And this, in Deuteronomy, is the review of the history of Israel and the review of the law before Moses dies. He talks all of Israel before Moses dies and turns the reins over to Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And so, as Moses is reviewing to the, the law and everything and telling them all the instructions, he says in chapter 7 and verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations which are greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show them mercy to them. You shall nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your souls away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord shall be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. In this first covenant that God made with Israel, he made one thing clear. You are to have nothing to do with the way of the people of that land. You are to have no fellowship with them and, and their ways. You're not to give your sons to their, you know, their, you're not to take their daughters for your sons, nor give your daughters in marriage to their sons, lest they learn your ways, lest you learn their ways. The way of the world in this first covenant. And he says, God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special people. A, a, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You read this in the new covenant, in the second covenant, when, when Peter is speaking and writing to Christians. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal nation, a holy people. God has called us in this new covenant, he's called us to be a special people for himself, just like in the first covenant. Yes, some of the teachings of the new covenant, the things that Jesus taught are different than the first covenant, of course. With the new covenant comes new teachings. But it's very important to understand 
that in this new covenant that there is this call to separation of holiness. And we're reading this from the Old Testament. But before we read the things out of the Old New Testament, we see that it's a very similar teaching. When he says, you shall destroy all the things of the people of that land. When you come into the land of the Canaanites, you destroy the sacred pillars and all the, the false gods and all this, all this stuff that's ungodly. And he says, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. There's a message in this to the Christian of the New Covenant. For those who wanting to know about the Lord and hearing about Jesus' teachings, the teachings of the New Covenant. In verse 9 it says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. It sounds very similar to the words of Jesus, If you love me, keep my commandments. God is a great God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of all life. And He calls us into a covenant with Him. And mercy for a thousand generations to those who love Him and keep His commandments. There is a connection with those who love Him and those who keep His commandments. From there we go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. prosper. Last week we talked about those in Jeremiah, those who trust in the Lord, talks about be like a tree that's planted by the living water. And here it talks about those who do who do not walk in the way of the world. We do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And this is something to be very aware of. Not to follow worldly counsel. Now in saying that, I'm not saying scientists are always wrong, psychiatrists are always wrong, doctors are always wrong, the politicians are always wrong. I'm not saying that. But it talks about the way we walk. Walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the path of, of sinners, 
nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. You know, having fellowship with the world. Sitting in the seat of the scornful. Being part of the way of the world. Standing in the path of sinners. In other words, walking the way of the people of the world. And as we, when we go through the New Testament, you'll see a consistent message to that. Now the Pharisees took this and read it all wrong. And saying that, you know, we're not going to talk to them, we're not going to try to reach out to them, we're only going to be with those who are like us. And, you know, when it talks about being separate and holy. And they misread that. But it is talking about our walk, the way we walk. That we don't follow the counsels of this world. And how do we know that? Unless... It says here, verse 2, the antidote to that is, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, in the, in the, in the Word of God. And him in his law, in his Word, he meditates day and night. Now how can we meditate in something that we don't know? God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. We know it. A flashlight can be a, a light to our, in a darkness at night. If we have the flashlight, we use it. The Word of God is a lamp to our feet, and a, 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 light to our, a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path. He meditates on it day and night. Word of God is a very important part of his life. He meditates on what he's reading, on what he's listening to, what he's taking heed to, taking into his heart from the Word of God. And he meditates on that day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. Why does it say the same thing about those who put their trust in the Lord? Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, as we talked about last week. So in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, and the whole chapter, actually the whole psalm, talk about the contrast between the people of God and the people of the world. And where the people of God should be, where their mind should be, where their meditations should be. But if our meditations are grinding in a worldly point of, from a, a worldly point of view, boy, that can that can wreck us. That can lead us down the wrong path really easily. And so this is making an awareness, this psalm makes an awareness to us of where our hearts should be. It's just another reminder. The next one we want to go to is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which is the next place we'll be in our men's meeting. <laughs> and I have actually just kind of grabbed me today. Uh, and uh, so, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Um, beginning in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says... In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in the second letter and saying, I'm pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. There are many problems in the Corinthian church. And he writes about a lot of them and confronts them in, chap- in, in the first letter to the Corinthians. And here again in the second chapter, to the, I mean the second letter to the, the church of Corinth. And he talks about his, we go from here, he talks about the ministry and all the things they went through, Paul talks about, beginning in verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in trouble, in, tribu- in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonment, in troubles, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, knowledge, long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, they're treated as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restrained or restricted by us, but you are restrained or restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as the children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what fellowship or communion has light with darkness? In everything Paul went through, he was showing their integrity and all their experience and all their struggles in ministering not only to them but many others. And then he confronts them about the problem in the Corinthian church. That they were having fellowship with darkness and restraining themselves from fellowship with Paul and the others that were with Paul. And so he confronts them about it. He says, you are restrained by your own affections towards us. There's Paul and, and the brethren. And he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship 
as light with darkness. And what, what agreement is there with Christ and Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? It says about Jesus in Hebrews, <clears throat> Hebrews 7, about Jesus says He was holy, separate from sinners, and undefiled. But yet He was also known as a friend of tax collectors and all kinds of sinners. So is that not contradictory? He said, no, it isn't. Because Jesus lived a holy life, and a life separate from the way of the world. And the way of ungodliness. And that is the life we're called into. The life of Jesus. The life of separation. Having no fellowship with the work of darkness. Continuing in verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will walk in them, I will dwell in them, live in them, walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, brothers, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I just want to talk about the world we live in today, the society we live in, the media that we're surrounded by, and all the temptations that are around us to kind of, what I would say, draw us in. <clears throat> there is all kind of media outlets to divert us, to divide our, divert our attention. And not all of them in themselves may be ungodly, but they preach in themselves the way of the world. And divert us, divert our time, divert our energies. There's all kinds of news outlets, all kinds of political forums, all kinds of science and, and technology forums, all kinds of uh, entertainment forums, uh, all kinds of things. And like we read from Deuteronomy, it says... They can draw us away. They can turn our heart away. Now, if you would refer to the book of Kings where it talks about Solomon, it says that Solomon was the wisest of all men. He prayed for God to give him wisdom so that he would be able to rule over the people of Israel. Give him wisdom. And God gave him wisdom and riches and honors that he didn't ask for. But it says that as wise as he was the wisest men of the earth, 
And as wise as he was, it says that he loved many foreign wives. And when he was older, it says, they turned his heart away from the Lord. And he actually began to offer incense to foreign gods. Now that message is not just that when you're young, you shouldn't date women who are not Christians, although that's very true, and that you shouldn't marry someone who's not a Christian, which is very true. It is talking much deeper than that. It is talking about being influenced by the world around us. And you know what? Until you let God into these areas, you just have no idea how, how badly and how deeply in our hearts we're being influenced by the world around us. Through media, through society, through our co-workers, through our neighbors, even people we're trying to reach out to. And to use friendship evangelism, which is very important. But beware, lest we learn their ways, is what we read in the book of Deuteronomy. Beware in our ministry, beware in our daily lives, lest we learn their ways. Now this is a message to young folks who might say, ah, you know, I hear all that, but, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff and a lot of things that, you know, I'll, I'll do that when I'm older. Beware, lest they turn your heart away from the Lord and you harden your heart. Beware of that. I remember I was, became a Christian in 1980, and as a young Christian, there was a song that the Lord used to confront me about this very thing. And I'll just read you a little bit of the lyrics from it. It's not all the lyrics. It was by the late Keith Green. It says, I want you right here with me, but you've been keeping other company. You, won't, you can't sit still. It's plain to see. You love the world and you're avoiding me. My word sits there upon your desk. But you love your books and magazines the best. Nowadays we could say our, our, our internet and social media and uh, video games and everything else that, you know, movies and all kinds of media. You prefer the light of your TV and all that other stuff. You love the world and you're avoiding me. Well, I love you more and more, but you're fighting everything I'm working for. You're acting like my enemy. You love the world and you're avoiding me. Some of us remember that song. And I remember the powerful impact that had because it was directly connected with what we're reading today. God loves us. If He tells us to avoid certain things, He's looking out for us. Lest those things turn us away. It says. Now we say, oh, that's not going to turn us away. Are you smarter than God? God says it is. Therefore, having these promises of being his sons and daughters, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God, in the beginning of wisdom, the fear of God. Cleanse ourselves from everything that, in the King James Version, I believe it says, that defiles us in flesh and spirit. Jesus was holy, separate, undefiled, separate from sinners. A holy, the, the life called, the call of life to holiness, of flesh and spirit. If we want revival in our life, if we want to change, if we want to be close to God, we have to turn away from the things that are turning us away from Him. And so that our life isn't cold. So that our hearts aren't cold. And so that we don't feel a million miles away from God. I felt that way sometimes. I felt like I was in a desert. Sure. Yes. What's the answer? Draw close to God. Well, I'm trying, but... Okay. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles us in flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's things that are defiling us we don't even recognize it. Put away the light of our TV and the media and things that are that are that are drawing us away. Now I'm saying that I'm not saying that there's never any beneficial in anything in in, in the news media and, and any of those other outlets. But brothers and sisters, let us be careful. And then as Paul later in chapter seven of Second Corinthians he talked about the response of the Corinthians to his message of repentance. And he says, in verse 9 of chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regret, regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And we have talked about this contrast between one and the other many times. There's a sorrow of the flesh. I'm sorry because this discipline is beating me up. I'm sorry because a lot of negative things are happening because God is disciplining me. But the only thing, if you read the book of Judges, which comes after Deuteronomy, you see, after the book of Joshua and the book of Deuteronomy, you see that this is a constant thing with that, those generations. That they kept back, coming back to God when their lives were being destroyed and they were being turned over to their enemies and God's help had been cut off from them. Oh God, you know, help me and everything. And then they... They put away all the prophets said, put away all your idols, so they put them all away. And then, you know, God sent them judges to deliver them, and God helped them. And then after everything was nicey-nicey again, and God was helping them, and 
you know, and then they were being blessed again, and hooray, and guess what? Over the course of time, after that prophet or judge passed away, they went back to their old ways. God was a God of convenience for them. They called on Him that they needed Him, and that was about it. But if they looked carefully at what God was saying, that His commands were for their good. God's telling us to separate ourselves. Touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I'll receive you. It's for our good. God's looking out for us for our good. Just like we teach our kids right from wrong. Don't go that way, go this way. Don't touch that. Don't touch that electrical socket. It'll hurt you when they're little, when they're little toddlers. Why are you telling it then? Because you love them. You don't want to see them get hurt. So God, our Father in Heaven is telling us, separate ourselves. Touch not what is unclean, and I'll receive you as sons and daughters. Therefore, since we have such a great promise, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles our flesh, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The call of holiness. And it goes on in chapter 7 to say, Godly sorrow produces repentance. In verse 11 he says in chapter 7, For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation. What fear. What passionate desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all your things, all these things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. A response. A passionate response. A zealous response. This is not legalism. This is the Apostle who teaches us salvation by, by faith through grace. This is the New Testament. But you see that it is a continuation in some ways of things that were taught to the Israelites. And you see what happened when the Israelites didn't listen. It became a snare to them, just like God said. And it will be a snare to us if we don't take heed to separate ourselves and be careful about what we're allowing ourselves to look at, to listen to, to absorb in our lives. In the book of Proverbs it says, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. Are we setting evil things before our eyes? Or how about what we're hearing? Jesus said, be careful what you hear. Are we dull of hearing this message? Are we stirred up to put away all things that are diverting us? Even things that we may consider to be innocent diversions. The way of the world. The influence of our society. Jesus warned us. Apostle John says, We are of God. 
but the whole world is under the influence of the evil one. If that is true, that means all these media outlets, all this entertainment, be careful. Because in, it's heavily influenced. It's done by the people of the world, mostly. And they're under the influence of the devil. And we can be influenced by it. I would even dare to say, be careful of those Christian media outlets. Because, like Peter says, in the days of the Israelites, there was false prophets among them. And he says there'll be false prophets among us. False prophets. Bringing forth false teachings by which the way of the truth will be spoken evil of. There's a lot of things that are being taught in Christendom now that are causing people of the world to speak evil of God and of Christ and of the church and of the Bible because of them the way of the truth would be speak, spoken evil. Think about it. cover that more in another time. But for today, the influence that's all around us. It's like an atmosphere that's trying to tell us to breathe it in. Breathe it in from your, from your cell phone. Breathe it in from the television. Breathe it in from your computer. Suck it in from the people around us that are talking about it and trying to entice us. And oh, by the way, there's that other element that's trying to draw us into that, and that would be our own human sinful nature. Surprise. And to those things, we are taught to crucify them. Put them to death, or, in another way of speaking, separate ourselves from them. Let us, since we have such wonderful promises as to God to receive us as his sons and daughters, to be with him in eternity, to, to be presented spotless before him through the blood of Christ. Since we have such great and precious promises, he said, let us be diligent to cleanse ourselves from all things that defile flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is not just something that we read in the Word of God. This is something that God is speaking to each of us in our inner man. To the unbeliever or the unconverted, to their conscience, but to the Christian, to those who have been born of the Spirit, it connects with something inside of us, whether we want to accept it or not. The Holy Spirit is leading us this way. This is what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. To crucify our human nature. To crucify the flesh and its affections and its desires. 
to put away the old man, to separate ourselves from all this stuff around us. Lest we follow, lest we learn their ways and follow them. And you know, that's a lot deeper than we can possibly imagine. That has to do with things like when people wrong us. You know, if you watch movies and TV and everything, you know, someone wrongs you, you know, you see what they do, you know. You turn around and get even with them. You do something in return. If someone is harsh to you, you don't turn the other cheek. You don't love them in return. It's all around us. And I dare to say that that message is even in Christendom and in Christian media outlets of returning evil with evil, with violent response and with all kinds of harshness in Christendom, the way of the world. It's the influence of the world in Christendom. Beware. I'm opening it up to you, brothers, uh, to go from here. Um, any brothers